Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, and I am so excited to share today's episode with you. I left this interview feeling so incredibly inspired and I had learned so much um, about business and just reminded about what makes a good business and what makes a business thrive through interviewing the incredible Laura May, founder of Nagnata, a fashion lifestyle brand um, that is completely blowing up right now. So Laura and her team have gone on to win sustainability awards. She just recently was announced as Westpac's Emerging Designer Award She's presented her her label to Anna Winter. She's stocked in Netta Porter and many other incredible global um, retail outlets. And more recently, Kate Hudson wore her brand on the front cover of Women's Health. Laura's story is so incredible. She has so much wisdom. It is such an amazing example of what happens when a brand has a passionate founder, a really core, clear brand value, brand purpose um, that they ooze throughout everything that they do. And there's so much to learn from Laura's story, how she started her brand, the ethics behind it, um, what she stands for and how she um, replicates that across every touch point, everything that she does with her brand. And as a result, um, you can head over and follow them on Instagram. We've got some other big brands who are trying to copy her. Laura shares some insights into legal battles and fighting for her designs and her uniqueness um, and also what it takes to hire a great team and keep innovating, especially in a sustainable way in the fashion industry right now. Enjoy the episode. I look forward to hearing um, what you think of it. So click us a, a message on Instagram or share it on on your profiles and let us know what you think. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to the podcast today, Laura May, who is the founder of Nagnata, a, would we call it an active wear brand, Laura? Yeah, like fashion lifestyle. I actually don't really like the word active, <laughs> but we definitely get grouped into that, which is okay. Yeah, no, you're definitely fashion. I love it. So but maybe just for our audience, you could introduce yourself and the brand um, and just describe it and what you do on a day-to-day. Yeah, well, hi, everyone. Um, so I'm Laura May, and I founded the brand Nagnata um, about five years ago now. And where we call it like a fashion and lifestyle brand, um, we launched with a line of what I call movement knitwear. So it was an organic cotton technical knit line that you can wear for your practice, like for yoga, Pilates, dance. Um, But I also wanted it to be a transitional wardrobe that you can wear throughout the day. Um, So I just felt like at the time it was something that I felt like was missing in my wardrobe. Um, And we work primarily with um, organic and natural or renewable fibres. And the whole kind of concept around Nagnata that I guess is different to other sportswear or um, active brands is that we're really committed to minimizing the use of synthetics in our garments mm-hmm. um, and also working in like fully fashioned knit techniques. So 
it really, there's a lot of elements that go into the brand that I'm sure we'll get into, but just on that real kind of product focus, it's, it was really about creating our own kind of textiles and style of garment to do these movement practices in. Yeah, and amazing. And I think I'm so excited and grateful to have you on the podcast today because it's definitely been a brand that I've been following through Instagram. And, you know, I think whenever I um, I see somebody or and a brand that inspires me and that I'm watching grow and thrive and stand out and, you know, I think when I came across the brand was definitely like, wow, this is different, you know, and really appreciating. You could f- almost feel that, um commitment to doing something creative and different and bringing you know the the love and the passion um that goes into it and it's been amazing to watch you thrive um over the last so how long have you been in business oh I mean I'm so bad with timelines and it was it's like whenever you're founding something at the start it's always hazy those first few years but um we launched the knitwear in 2017 but from 2015 is when around then we launched on Instagram and we actually launched with an artisan program. So it took me about two years to develop the knit textiles and the collection before I was happy with it. Um, But we wanted to kind of, I already decided I wanted to do this brand. So by working with artisan work was something that I could kind of turn around in smaller production runs and really quickly while I was working out of China for the knits, I was living between Byron and India and yeah, working with um, artisans in India on upcycling, on weaving projects, on natural dyeing. So we had about two years that we worked on those style of um, projects. And I did have an original business partner and then she kind of um, decided to leave and pursue other things. And then my sister stepped in in that period as well while I was working in India. So those first few years are really about kind of um, establishing what I wanted Nagnata to be um, and just the real foundations of the brand and so much like testing and developing. And yeah, by the time we reached 2017 and launched with the fashion line, um, that's when I took it to New York. And that's, I think, when we built like real momentum. Um, But we did have a really nice following from those early years. But then people were like, well, this looks like so different because he went from being really artisan to really like quite contemporary and really fashion forward um, but still had that sustainability kind of um, foundations in there but that was always my idea for Nagnata is that I wanted it to be super diverse platform and like so many different elements go into the brand to speak to like different sides of my personality and my design aesthetic but also speak to like a really wide audience and also enables us to do all styles of different kind of like work with different communities and different factories and different innovation. So it's it's definitely a big melting pot in Nagnata. Um, but yeah, so from 2017, then that was, I feel like the real kind of um, launch of the brand because that's when, yeah, the fashion kind of entered the market. Yeah, amazing. So before that, when you talk about doing the artisan, uh, uh, how do you say it? The- artisanal, artisan. <laughs> artisan. Were they, was it, were we doing a fashion line there or was um, it? Well, we started with, how did I start that? A few different things. Um, We did yoga mat bags, actually. Mm -hmm. So when I first went to India, I was there looking for factories because I thought I'd be able to do my technical knits there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I quickly found out that they didn't really have the technicalities um, or willing to work within my units. 
Um, so I was kind of just also on this super inspirational trip through India, like trying to think of ideas and design and have time out um, from fashion as well. And so when I was on that trip, I was just sourcing uh, kind of embroidered tribal textiles. And I was literally just in Jaipur one day at this like textile merchant's place. And I saw the chess pieces from, it was like Rabari tribes and Jat tribes and they were really long embroidery pieces. And straight away my mind was just like, oh my gosh, these would make a great yoga bag, you know, like it would fit half a panel of a yoga bag. And then we looked around and saw the traditional Indian Kantha blankets and I was like, oh, we could put the Kantha on the back. And then there were these kind of Afghanistan coined belts Mm -hmm. and I was like, that could be the strap. Mm -hmm. And like literally that's how the yoga bag came together. I was not going to India to necessarily work with um, upcycled textiles, but that idea just came. And so we made the bags on that very trip, the first prototypes. Um, And then on the same trip, we went down to Madhya Pradesh, um, which was planned. That was to work with a collective called Women Weave, and they are a fully sustainable, self-sufficient women collective um, that lives off the land and grows their organic cotton. They natural dye everything, and then they work on hand looms. Mm-hmm. So we created like a bespoke range of scarves like kind of beach throws so kind of like these multi-purpose textile pieces um and so we did that on the same trip and then went back to Jaipur checked out the prototypes um and yeah and then we ended up I mean I went to India back and forth for like those first two years and we made sorry, I turned my emails off mm-hmm. um we made then we started making tops and stuff as well. So I was just really experimenting. So we did do a few fashion pieces in that time. Um, and then we went to the foothills of the Himalayas as well and did like a T-shirt line up there, um, working yeah. with natural dyes, learning how to dye with indigo and different kinds of like plants and flowers and leaves. So that was, we kind of um, did like an exchange there. Um, we were just kind of like their apprentices and they taught us everything and we contributed to um yeah, what they needed to get done on the property each day. So I love that. And I think there's yeah. there's so many great lessons in here for business founders, like even just yeah. hearing you talk about like using two years to really understand the brand and the foundations and what you wanted to build and then being on the ground and sourcing. And then even I love that idea of like, well, what else can I learn as well? You know, what am I here? Uh, how can I learn this as a craft, not just, um, you know, be the person selling the fashion. So, but I think before we jump into those, because I think they're beautiful qualities, which are obviously, you know, have resulted in your brand loyalty, like watching your social media following grow and, you know, how people interact with you as a brand and are so proud of it. It's like no wonder because, you, you know, it's got so much depth to it. Um, but before we jump into that story, like where, where did you start? Where did all of this come from? Where, what were you doing before um, you started your own label? Yeah, so, I mean, I'd worked in fashion for like at least 15 years, which people always look at me when I say that and like, how have you worked in it for so long? You look so young. But it was literally since I was like 19, I got a job. I only did one year of study at TAFE and I was never actually that great at studying. I was too restless and I did a year of fashion production and I just started applying for jobs. And so by the time I was 19, I was working for a designer called Leona Edmondson. So she was really big in the 90s, worked with Morrissey and 
she ended up being my mentor for the first like three or four years. Um, and I kind of just, yeah, after her, I just moved through a variety of different kind of fashion brands and independent designers and learned everything I really needed to know by working in the industry. So I started in fashion production. I worked a little, a little bit in sales. Um, I started designing children's wear for Leona when I was like 20. Um, I did product development. I was going to China for her by the time I was, yeah, same, like same time around 20. Um, how did you get that job? Like, this is what I'm so intrigued about. I, like, I think it was in the paper. Like, <laughs> it was like pretty old school. I did a, I did do a like a grad fashion show on our first year, and so I had some sort like you know we had to pattern make and sew everything, and I shot that and made like a mini portfolio. And I mean, in high school as well, I was going to design school outside of school. Like I always knew I either wanted to be an artist or a designer and I, it was the only thing I really cared about in English, writing, I always loved that. So I, it's like I knew really early on that I was going to create some kind of creative career for myself and nothing else mattered. So I guess I've always just been pretty focused and um. Yeah, I went straight to fashion school and I'd already yeah, done a few courses while I was in my teens. And then, yeah, I just applied for the job in the paper, emailed my CV and stuff and had an interview and, and got the job. And then, to be honest, every job I've ever had since, everything has been word of mouth. I think any job I've actually officially applied for, I've never got. Um, and it's always been very distinct decisions and opportunities that have come. And I've been super lucky in my career in that sense that um, I've never had to struggle to get a job. It's just been like an opportunity has come and it's felt really aligned and then I've worked in that and then it's led me to something else. And I always have periods between jobs where I don't work. Like mm. very, it's really important for me to, I'd usually go to like London or Paris or New York or, you know, I, I basically was working to save up money so I could travel and go and you know, I, I interned in Paris for a few months and then I interned with Alexander Wang in New York when I was in my early 20s. And that was like an amazing experience um, working for him and I was his fit model for a while. And then I came back and I was working, I think I was just working in the Subi store and planning to go back to uh, New York when I saved more money because I ran out of money. And um. And then George and Dan offered me a job doing like creative consulting for... Subi, my friend Apples was having a baby and so I stepped in for her for a few months and then in that period um, they were like, or George who also owned Insight, kind of offered me the job to come in and do that for Insight and help change the directions there for women's wear and then I ended up getting offered the women's wear designer role and so I was there for another four years and, yeah, so my career has kind of just flowed Um Amazing. So at the end of that Subi job, is that when you were like, you went on your overseas trip? Like, Did you always know you'd start your own label or is that kind of evolved after you've kind of maxed out your experience in the industry? Yeah, I, I always knew that I wanted to have my own brand. Or When I was working for all these other designers, like I knew that I needed to do my own thing. Um, it was definitely my personality type where I've, I find having set schedules really difficult I find like anytime I'm I'm restricted in terms of I guess like 
what I'm doing for my work or how I need to work. I can only do it for so long. So whilst I was working under these amazingly creative people, I still also had kind of that like resistance um, that I kind of wanted to work more like an artist or, or in my own kind of free ways. So, um, yeah, it was after Insight. We had, I did four years there and look, it was an amazing experience. It taught me so much. I, I think that job really taught me about having a lifestyle brand. So my other jobs were more fashion focused. So I was learning about, you know, I worked with Alice McCall, who was an amazing mentor and, her and I were so creative together. We would be developing laces and draping and, you know, I had really a lot of fun um, indulging in like fashion kind of fantasy with Alice. Um, but at Insight was very, you know, it's a streetwear brand and the the design wasn't as um, complex, but it was very like art focused and culture focused. And so that job really taught me like the importance of building culture within a brand. Um, and we were constantly traveling between like Japan um, for design inspiration. We would go and work directly with factories in China and Hong Kong. We would go to LA to, um, we had like an office there. So we would do all our range presentations, our showings and always like throw parties and and kind of build up our community in California. So it's interesting because I've kind of taken all those threads that I learned throughout my whole career, but in terms of that brand formula and that I can really see now when I step back how that's kind of informed a lot of the way that I've set up Magnata and knowing that like culture and community is so important and all those elements that you put into the brand is really what give it longevity and what I think you're your audience space really resonate with like it goes so beyond just the garments or the product um and you know I was never as much as I love like high fashion like when I was studying in Paris I was like definitely I'll have my brand Laura May and it's going to be really you know beautiful fashion pieces and super indulgent but I think as I kind of matured and I really also kind of came into myself a little bit more and like what are my ethos and what am I all about and and also creating a brand that's going to speak to me in 10 15 20 years time because if I started a brand really based on trends or my style now like that's not going to be relevant to me in 20 years and I was interested in creating a brand I guess it's going to really like transcend trends and generations and speak to a wide range of women so that definitely informed the style of um kind of I guess practice like practicality of Magnata um yeah yeah I love that I think it's so important and it's such a good lesson for people out listening who might be going okay oh I want to start my own fashion label like I always say to clients of mine like it's anyone can start a business, right? Like we can, you know, buy something from an op shop, put it on Instagram, somebody sends you money via PayPal, you put it in the mail. That's technically a business, right? Yeah. <laughs> Transaction. I think the what the brands that I've noticed over the years and having interviewed and stuff is the ones that really stand out are the ones who have those really deep core foundations and founders who really give a shit yeah. and have put time and energy and probably a little bit of their own soul into it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, and that goes, I didn't really answer your previous question that well, I realized, because you asked me about um, that early concept period. And it's exactly kind of what you just said there. Like I took a year 
after I left Insight, um, actually I was still consulting for them for a little bit and living in Mexico, I kind of like set up this sweet deal for a while where I'd be <laughs> in Mexico and, and consult creatively and then I'd come back and do shoots and some creative work and then I'd go back to Mexico. Um, but it was there, that company kind of crumbled down um, and then, yeah, I stepped away and it was in that time, yeah, I just spent almost a year thinking about what Nagnata was going to be. Um, I really wanted to make sure I was integrating everything that I was like passionate about and interested in. And that was including, you know, I was really on the yogic path by then. I was studying meditation and tantra and yoga in Mexico. Um, and it was actually a lot of the Mayan textiles that I was surrounded with in my time there, all the beautiful embroideries, all the natural dyes. I was going to the mountains and doing natural dye courses. Um, I had no plan for this year except to really just, you know, go on my little kind of travel journey and see where I was called. But I was like constantly sketching and writing down ideas. And so I think that was a really beautiful creative period. And, um, you know, I know not everyone's able to take that, but, I, you know, I felt like I worked really hard for so many years to be able to have that time and space. And pretty much since then, I haven't had a break like that since starting the brand. So I think if you can ever allow that space for yourself before you go into start a business, because once you start a business, you don't get a holiday. Like you can get a day. <laughs> um, for, the, for those listening at home, Laura and I have tried to tee this meeting up. I mean, we've <laughs> Uh, things but you're so busy and it's so it's, yeah. it's such a beautiful example of um you know entrepreneurs doing what they love and that you know that quote of when you find what you love you'll never work another day in your life and you know it's a public holiday and Laura's in her office yeah. and doing this and this was like the, our little window to catch each other but it's funny hearing you talk about you know, not always um having that drive when you're working for somebody else's dream and then yeah. you know when you all of a sudden you're doing your own thing, it's like you get this superpower, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I'm seven years in from when I was in Mexico. I was 27 at the time. And, um, yeah, I still love and am passionate um, about the brand as I was when I started, you know, drawing it. I remember I was actually on a, a like a one-month meditation and yoga, like, retreat in a pyramid when I sketched my first collection in San Marcos um, down in Guatemala. And, I, I like, I sketched that collection in a couple of days. I knew the colours. I knew the fabric I wanted to create. Um, you know, I remember I'd been in L.A. before that and actually picked up a, like, vintage swimsuit from the 20s, and that's kind of when everything kind of came together in my brain. I was like, oh, this is kind of what I want to replicate. Like I'm going back to the very first kind of knitted sporty textiles there were, and they were using yarns like merino wool, which we've in- integrated a lot into Nagnata. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to go back to basics because, you know, all kind of sportswear and stuff now is either made with 100% synthetics on like circular knit machines, which gives you that great compression, but it's all synthetics, or you can get mm. organic cotton clothing, um, but then it's cut and sew and it's usually jerseys, which I find don't, they don't sculpt you. You can't get the kind of shaping and you can't have as much fun with the textile patterns and stuff. 
when it's 100% cotton, um, but also it's cut and sew. So you're cutting into the fabric and then you're wasting lots. So, you know, I another thing from my career in fashion before this was I definitely saw how wasteful the industry was. Um, and as I was getting more kind of conscious of, I guess, sustainability before it was like a huge thing, I was like reading all the, the Greenpeace detox campaigns, how they were like going into all these companies in China and like, you know, the dye houses that washed all the um, toxic water into the waterways. Like I've seen all that because um, I would work with our denim mills in China. So like it wasn't even like an abstract concept of hurting the environment. Like I would be there and I saw these septic green, you know, acidy waters and stuff outside the factories. So especially my ladies, as I was getting closer to needing to do my own thing, it was like this burning thing inside of me being like, okay, so once I do my own brand, I have to found it on sustainability um, or have that, we call it like sustainably minded design at Nagnata because I also, you know, like making fashion isn't sustainable. If you wanted to be sustainable, we wouldn't, you know, make anything new at all in mm. the fashion world. You know, we would, you know, working with upcycling, that's why I was really drawn to upcycling at the start because I was working with 100% already made and found materials um but you know after a while that had its limitations like I was I was having to travel out to um Bouge, which is like the easternmost uh, in Gujarat the easternmost state northeastern um, of India with my sister and like going to the tribes and and trying to actually purchase their textiles directly from these super remote tribes because you know they're also really limited so I I couldn't base and scale a business in the way that I wanted just based on artisan work you know like that was always going to be an element that I'm passionate about that you know weaves into the bigger business plan but so going back to these textiles yeah it kind of all started from these knitted swimsuits that I found and that was the starting point for the development process so I was thinking about that when I was in Mexico and then at the end of that time um, I actually tried to start with knitwear mills in Australia, but we only really had one in Melbourne and I really wanted to do Australian made, but we just don't have the manufacturing um, facilities here. So then I went through two or three other factories in um, Hong Kong, China. Um, and then I finally found one that was willing to test in because essentially I use fashion factories. So um, with the flatbed organic cotton movement line, that's made on the same kind of machines that you'll make your cashmere sweater or you'll make your like, you know, beautiful fashion knits that you see in the market or your some like kind of crochet work. But they weren't used to making this kind of um, practical techie garment that needed to with and yeah. stretching and movement and in the way that I wanted to blend it. So it was definitely a lot of testing and me being like, are people going to want to wear this? Everything's coming back looking like nappies. Like <laughs> they need to make it thinner. And they're like, we can't get thinner with organic cotton and it doesn't come in a finer gauge. And, you know, it was the creative was easy, but like actually trying to get the finished product was yeah. so hard. And I really just had to like in that time believe that what I was doing was going to happen and work and people would want it because there were so many times where, you know, I was just like, what the hell? Like, is this, yeah. what am I doing? And like I was still working on the design jobs and I was like putting all my money into these ideas and, you know, sampling is expensive and 
Yeah. This is the part that I'm really intrigued about, actually. So I'm glad we're there because, I, I mean, I do a lot of business coaching, so I get people coming with just ideas, yeah. you know, a drawing or whatever, or, or they're established and they're, they're looking to scale. But it's I really love that you have so many vivid memories of this process and can <laughs> articulate it because I think that was part of the reason I started this business was my, like Startup Creative and the podcast is to tell the stories of how it actually is because it's well and good like and you know I'm intrigued to to have a conversation with you about like almost like channeling those designs in this really meditative process and mm-hmm. knowing that this was your purpose and your passion from such a young age and then but then actually doing the work right it's like everyone can have an idea and and do that yeah. but the the successful people the people who actually live their best lives and you know can stand and say I built this brand are the ones who are able to go okay this is an idea how do I make it a reality and how do I persevere even when it's hard and no one else is doing it or um so we we in that process I guess like what were some of the first steps like actually I'm intrigued just because I know that you've got that spiritual background and you've done so much self-work as well do you believe in like um, like finding that purpose and having that like intuitive um, inspiration that that came through with when you did those designs in that? Yeah, I mean, look, I just I would say that I make all my business decisions very intuitively. Like that's just actually the way that I operate in life. And I would say if I'm to give people business advice, it would be so different to what a traditional business planner would give you like I keep getting I've won a few awards and stuff lately and, and I'm getting offered all this business mentorship and it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of advice I'm given because mm-hmm. yeah I've operated all on intuition and following my gut and yeah. believing in an idea I think you definitely need to I did a lot of research to check that this wasn't out there like that was a big thing for me like I had this idea and I knew that I knew someone would want it because I wanted it. Like I wanted to be able to go to practice and wear a chic outfit that I could then continue to wear all day because, you know, I live a busy lifestyle and I just want to be able to, you know, layer it up and wear it throughout the day and wear it out, Mm. have beautiful natural fibres, have it, you know, being as sustainably made as possible, Mm. you know. And And were you getting feedback? Like was it? Yeah, I mean, my friends, like I would make all my yogi, I was then, when I was living in Byron, I would make my friends wear it to practice and they'd be like, oh, I love it. And then I'm like, no, it's too thick. Or I was doing all these melange yarns and they're like, I love it. And then I look at it on them and I'm like, I'd be looking at them in class wearing, I'd be like, nah, nah, like it's not right. Like I don't want that or her ass doesn't look good enough in it or like it's not holding her or it's sagging too much at the knees. So, yeah, the sampling process, like, I mean, you can have an idea and that's, I think that's just channeled through you. Like that kind of raw creativity is something that, I don't know, some people might sit to go, I want to create a business and have to sit and think of an idea. But I think honestly for most people and especially creative, it's something that comes to you. And whether it's in a meditative state or whether it's just something that's as you've worked for other businesses throughout the years, you've kind of got this this idea, you know. I think that's a very natural process. But where you go, I've got a lot of friends that have great ideas, but are they really actioning them? Are they really committed to seeing it through and you know for my friends for years are always like oh Laura's always working or you know they know me as the one that never has any time um because I've really had to just give it everything and you do make a lot of sacrifices I think you need to be prepared for that um 
you know, I love I, that the concept that we're talking about because, you know, some, some of the other topics I want to talk to about is this whole idea of creativity. And, like, you can hear just through the way that you talk around textiles and everything. Yeah. I think um, it's clearly a passion of yours and something that is uniquely yours. And, you know, you've, you've also got that hustle and that mentality to be able to go, well, now I have this dream and this goal, I'm going to make it, I'm not going to stop until it, it comes to reality. Yeah. Um, but how difficult has it been? I know we touched on this briefly um, before we chatted, started recording, but how difficult is it to, um, you know, you do your life's work, <laughs> you know, I think all your brand has obviously come out of, every experience you've ever had from, you know, the internships to the the med- sitting in meditation for a month and traveling and, you know, finding remote communities, like that is your life experience. And then you've obviously recently, has it been recently encountered some rip-offs and people actually taking your, well, not, not even just your designs, but even your, um, your textiles and your patterns and everything that yeah. you've worked so hard. Yeah. That's really hard <laughs> to yeah. handle. Yeah. 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 I mean, that has happened recently. And I think, I mean, a, th- a few threads of what you said there, but um, I just speaking directly to that. Yeah. I mean, we've had another Australian brand or two Australian brands um, basically just sending our base textiles off to factories and copying them using viscose instead of organic cotton in both instances. Um, and in both cases, even replicating the artwork and structure to a T, it wasn't even 30% changed. And I've always grown up with this idea in fashion being like, oh, if someone changes it 30%, you can't legally um, go after them. But that's not even, I've been speaking to lawyers and that's not even like a real kind of um, law I have now discovered. Um, But yeah, look, it's been super disappointing. And I, you, you know, I think coming through fashion it's happened forever high street copy high-end designers and all my designer friends have had these issues and I've, I've watched it I've had my designs copied when working for other brands I guess it hadn't hit this close to home to me before and both these brands were Australian brands um one very well established and the other one huge following based in Melbourne and look it was I got so angry. I was like, you know, what you know, reaction? You know, it's like, because I think it's so easy to observe brands from the outside and go, wow, look what Laura's done. She's so great. Like, you know, congratulations. I think I saw some big celebrity wearing a brand the other day on Instagram. Stuff. Like, <laughs> it's so easy to see that, right? And to go, wow, they're so lucky. And it's like, actually on the back end, I'm fucking fighting this shit. Yeah. And I think a lot of brands, look, these bigger brands just do product development and I'm used to that. And look, the situation happened and I, you know, I just called both of it out on Instagram because our Instagram following went nuts. Like I was sent like a hundred times, our DMs were going off, my personal Nagnata um, for both companies and I was like, cool, guys, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to call it out. Like, you have the balls to copy me, so I have the balls to call it out. Like, I'm not – I am I have a very, like, direct personality, I guess, and I am I can be – you know, I could just say it how it is. And so, yeah, I, I spread it on my Instagram, and then I had so many people come to me being like, oh, they've ripped me off or they've, you know, took advantage of me in this situation or they, they, about this specific brand as well. Um, yeah. And then – 
so many designers were like, thank you for saying something because that's happened to me so many times and mm. I've been so hurt or it's really hurt my business. And I'm just like, just say it, you know? And then, yeah, look, I had one of the brand, the bigger brand, um, I think did the right thing. And I wrote an email and addressed it with me and I sent them the proof and said, maybe you should discuss it with your design team. Come back to me if you feel like um, I'm wrongly um, saying something, never heard from them again. But the other brands didn't have the courage to comment or write to me or anything. And then I thought, look, this is this is enough. Our, our customers and followers have called it out. There's been enough noise made. And now just recently they've launched a dead copy of another Nick construction. I've bought the samples. It's to the centimeter. It's I was so shocked that they would go this far um, and I haven't said anything about this on social and I'm just going to approach it directly because the thing with us, it's not like you're just, you're ripping off our textiles and our, you know, that's our brand identity. Like this is what Nagnata is and I don't, it takes me, you know, a year or two to develop a new construction and to, it's more to fund it. I've got so many ideas, but like we're paying for all of this stuff. I don't have investors. One collection cost me $200,000 every time wow. because they have to work um, on high minimums out of China, you know? So I do less collections. So we don't, a big thing of Nagnata is like we don't work in a strict fashion season because since launching, I was always like, I'm going to produce, you know, based on what we need as a brand. Yeah. Um, and so we do movements and, you know, the more we're selling and the bigger that we become, the more often I can release a movement. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I've had to sink in, you know, we've got a, a lot of amazing international partners now, um, you know, like Netta Potter and Lane Crawford. And um, we had a few others in London that have just fallen away because of the COVID crisis. But you know, we need to be able to travel on and show on their schedule. So, you know, it's been as a small brand, you're constantly trying to adapt and figure out how your model will also optimize the budgets that are there with, you know, the big stores that you want to partner with for the growth of your business. And there is just so much that goes into funding and timing and collections um, past design. And so when these guys just send your stuff to a factory, rip it off, yeah. put it on the market, they have a really quick turnover because they've got so much money behind them and they're hitting it and they've got like a celebrity who faces the brand who will talk to all her huge amount of followers about this new, you know, knit fashion concept. And it's just so blatant to all of us that that's from Nagnata. And yeah, that's yeah. why there's a lot of weight behind it for me and that's why it's not acceptable. And, you know, maybe legally... We won't be able to fight them, but I would definitely call it out and I will call it out directly to them because it's, yeah, it's just not the right yeah. thing to do. No, I think absolutely. And good on you for standing up for the little guys. It's devastating to watch. I know I was saying to you earlier, you know, I watched it play out on Instagram and yeah. it was just like gobsmacked. I was like, what the hell is <laughs> going on, you know? And, yeah. um, I've, you know, I know a few different artists and creatives who have been through it as well. And I just think like maybe you could share little insights because I know, you know, as hard as it is and um, you, you sound like you're handling it really well and you've got good support from your community. But for those out there it, who are enduring some sort of struggle or knockback or competition or, or you know, being bullied by the big guys or whatever, um, they're all things that come up in business and you can't really predict them or 
or um, prepare for them. Like it's so much about this is being in business, right? And then these yeah. things happen and you have to figure it out as, as you go. Um, but what are some of the strategies maybe you could share on how you've personally helped dealt with it? Like I know times where I've had big battles, it, it can knock your mental health around a little yeah. bit if if you're feeling drained or overworked or or you know yeah emotional like I know give me an emotional week and I'm <laughs> back in my business and I'm shutting the whole thing down and I'm out of here you know um yeah I'm like I'm selling it I'm yeah. done who wants to buy that <laughs> I don't know um but yeah so what are you, maybe even just personally for your own mental health in in those times and then you know as a business do you have yeah, coaches or mentors or people who are helping you through? Well, look, I the first step for me was actually getting a team because for so long it was just my sister and I. Um, and Hannah has recently had a little baby and, you know, so it's she's still in the business but has stepped out a little bit. So about nine months ago we got to the point where, like, okay, we need team to just because you can't do everything yourself and, like, learning to hand over and a lot of the time, you know, you get team and you spend the first, you you become busier because you need to train, you need to mentor. I'm all about having a good vibe in the workspace and so I want to be there with them. So you suddenly feel like, hold on, I've brought on team to alleviate my stress and my workload and give me support. But then you're, for that first period, you feel like you've doubled your workload. Um, But now we're getting into a nice rhythm where, you know, my team is so supportive. So that's definitely um, helped with, I guess, like my um, mental health and just allowing a bit more space in my life, you know, because I'm not holding everything in the brand myself um, and with Hannah. And then as this legal stuff has come up, I think we're, we're getting to a stage now where we are a lot bigger. And like I said before, I'm very intuitive with business and I'm very creative, but I've realized that we've reached a point where I need someone in the business that is purely strategic and Mm. is has far beyond my experience in the kind of business finance world so we've actually just brought on a new COO who's based in LA and she came on just as all this um was weird timing because just as all this kind of copying and stuff came out was when I arrived to LA to have my initial meetings with her so she was straight on and she's really kind of mentored me through that and just helped me with the legalities and we've got a lawyer and you know, so I definitely think you reach that point where you need to call on support and it's just it's just growing your business, you know. Um yeah. and yeah, so that's kind of what we're doing at the moment is just focusing a lot on strategy yeah. and yeah, yeah, extending the team. We have a brand manager. We have a brand manager in New York as well, so she's helping me. She's stepped in more now. So yeah, just slowly expanding. Well, so and how many people on your team now? Uh, so here in Byron, which is like the warehouse design studio, we just have our two full timers and myself. And then we've got Hannah, who is the other director. And so Hannah works more on like the textiles art direction side of the business and with me on collections and creative. Um, and she does all the, like the photography for the brand as well. So it was really like, in the early days, her and I could almost do everything that was needed. Um, and now we have a marketing director who is all based in Sydney and she works as a contractor for us. Um, and then just our brand manager for the US who's in New York and he's kind of um, another director of the business. And then 
our COO in LA. And then I've got another kind of um, another contractor that works for me casually as I need her on development factory work. Um, yeah. So it's a lot of, I'm working on a lot of time zones. Yeah. Amazing. And how hard was it to like, maybe you could share some tips because I know a lot of people out there listening get to that point where it's like, you know, I think the initial stage is like, all right, I'm the creative, I've got this idea, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to pull together a business partner or a few different contractors or people I know to shoot and do all of it as homegrown and as cheap as possible, especially if you're outlaying so much. When does it get to that point and how do you, um, how did you maybe share some insights on knowing when to hire, what to hire first, um, and then if, you, if you've got any insights into outsourcing and, and doing some of those handovers and your own personal process around, um, yeah, letting go of some of the control as well? Yeah, I mean, some people are people that have, I've known or worked with since my early 20s. Um, I'm very like that and still like the guys I collaborate on with art I worked with at Insight, um, my marketing director, I worked with her at Subi, my brand director, again, came from, she was based in LA when I was with Insight and worked on the brand. So a lot of my team has actually been with me for years so they really understand me, which I think is helpful because sometimes I'm probably not the most easy person to work with because of the way that I work. And, um, but our Byron team is all new and yeah, we, it's just, look, it's just very, uh, how just very intimate. I think the way we are here, like I just trained and handed over and just sat with them for weeks really. And I think the interesting thing about Nagnata is like, we, we all built this space together because it reached the point where for two years I didn't actually have a permanent studio. We had warehousing in Sydney and we had a dispatch guy Yeah, and I would just travel. So I was living between LA, New York. We'd go to Paris, do the show. So I was on that constant circuit for almost two years. Mm-hmm. And then I'd come back to either Byron or Sydney in between. So mm-hmm. in those two years was when like Nagnata boomed in, like I was having, but I was having to travel everywhere to do everything. And, and Hannah would come on the trips as well. And some things happened in my life in LA, uh, like almost a year ago now, um, that were like definite signs that I needed to come home and ground and build a space because things were just falling down around me, um, to put it gently. And so I, in that moment, I was in LA and I just started looking for property. I was like, I need to find a warehouse and a studio and it has to be in Byron. Like, I don't want to. Are you from Byron? No, I'm from Sydney. And then I've just lived in Byron over the years. So <laughs> I started the brand here, but it was interesting because when I started it, um, I always knew that I wanted it to feel like a global brand and not just like a a brand coming out of Byron, not that there's anything wrong with that, but because I was in the yoga space, I yeah. didn't want it to have that stigma of like a, a hippie yoga brand. Yeah. And also because of the life, which was, you know, easily, a lot of the brands that are coming out of here are very bohemian focused. And I was working with a lot of like bohemian style, um, you know, products, but I knew my price point and the like technicalities of what I was working on was like would speak actually more to like a, a New York Japanese um you know global yeah. kind of city girl so 
I wanted to make the brand really global feeling. And a lot of people say that they're like, oh, we don't actually know where Nagnata is from. It could be Scandinavian by like the minimal design set aesthetic. Um, or is it LA because of like that lifestyle and you're always shooting over there or is it Sydney? So, um, yeah, I, look, I just had those two years traveling on the road and it was amazing. You know, I, I love, I can live very nomadic. Um, but at the same time, the brand was getting out of my control and, yeah, I just found a space here in Byron really quickly and it turned out I'd already been texting the um, landlord for a few months um, about other properties and my sister came and saw it and said it was amazing and I flew back to Byron and started renovating like really? that week and then we had free reign on the space so we completely renovated it for like three or four months. Um, my yoga teacher, my ex-boyfriend moved in and like he was project managing and we just built this space and then in that period I started interviewing um, locals for the position and I found my girls really easily. I just I just knew straight away what I was looking for and I'm I very much hire based on, you know, personality and you know, it's just, I don't know, it's an intuitive feeling. I haven't yeah. hired a lot of people before, but I look definitely at their experience and I ask them what they want in their life and I look at where they're at. You know, I definitely wanted girls with longevity. And I think there's, at what I really try to do is offer like a career. Like I'm, because I've known every time I'm in a brand to make me stay, I want to know like, where can I go from here? Or like, you know, what are my perks? So like, will I either take the girls on trips or you know, so I've, yeah, just work with them in that regard, like trying to build a career around what they are interested in. And we give a lot of like freedom and flexibility with hours and days. And, you know, one of them's a young mom, so we can be really flexible there with what she needs at different times. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. I love that. And I love like your, everything that you do and your choices that you make all come back to a reflection of the brand values, you know, of like all that work that you did in to be like, this is what we stand for and, and we're making choices. And I think that's really good advice and you're a pure example of it for entrepreneurs out there who are, you know, um, maybe feeling a bit lost or overwhelmed or, um, you know, or you're just starting out, this is fabulous advice, is to really build that foundation because once you have it so firm, then every every decision becomes easier because you almost have that value system that you can base off, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, look, we're a very personal brand and I think that was one thing with me is I never really separated myself from the brand and that definitely has pros and cons because it's really intense at times and I feel like I can never until this point like really step away from it but it has enabled the business to just have this flow because you always know the right move because you're like well what do I want and what what feels good and don't overthink it too much um, and just surround yourself with like people that can be your soundboard you know I definitely have mentors that aren't related to the brand that I would ask advice on all the time um, when I was first starting out and um, yeah I think that's a it's good when you're your your own target market it's like if I'm if I'm building a brand for to something that I needed and loved which is very much how I started my business then mm. have your own self to check in with you know exactly um, exactly because you know but then in saying that now we're growing you know, out to such a wider audience. I think we love getting feedback. Like we are now speaking to, you know, women that I 
that, you know, are so different to me and it's amazing and they will write us directly or they'll be like, you know what, I'd really love to see these clothes fit more curve or like I felt great in these but these bikers not so much and like getting that feedback. And we're like, great, cool, let's integrate that. How can we design to that now? So because yeah. we take all that on, like if I constantly feel challenged and interested because I want to make all these women feel good in what they're wearing. You know, it was such a big thing about Nagnata and the way we design our fabrics and lines. And like, you know, we keep it quite, I guess, classic and understated in the design lines. We have a lot of fun with color, texture, fabrication. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I want women to wear it and feel really good and encourage movement. That's the whole thing with our brand. Like, yeah. move your body, stay healthy, keep your mind healthy, but, like, look amazing while you're doing it and don't look like everyone else in the yoga room and don't wear your, like, shiny synthetic lycra that, you know, restricts your breath or, like, you know, your pores are open and you're wearing synthetics and you're going to be absorbing that. Like, we care about our women. We care about what they put on their bodies. And we also know that Nagnata is an investment. So it's like you know, really listening to what your whole audience want and trying to, well, you, you want to stay true to your identity definitely and have that very refined. Um, yeah. Uh, taking on feedback and, and trying to design to that because we've seen such an increase in business once I've started doing that more and more. And, you know, we get a lot of stuff through social media and sometimes I'll be like, oh, that's such a hard call and we're trying, you know, when like we're, people expect a lot of you like through social, like, you know, for a while when I first launched, like, you know, I was using slimmer models or I was shooting on myself or my friends that were doing stuff for free for me. And straight away, you know, we'd have pressure that we weren't shooting on enough diverse body types. And, and I was like, guys, it's our first shoot. Like, give, give me a chance, you know, like, do you want to come model for me? Yeah. People expect a lot straight away. And you realize that as a brand, you have a huge responsibility to, yeah. you know, you're being looked at and you're being judged and you're being criticised and, and, you know, there's a lot. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely a risk to take to put your face to a brand and, you know, be so connected to it and care so much about it. And I think it's, I was going to say this, it's like you start out as your own target market and then as you grow it becomes so important and it sounds, oh, I've even watched you guys do this and even through all of the the copycats and um, all of that, like your brand loyalty has been phenomenal you know to see people um you know and I think you represent that really well by how you share you're always sharing other people's images and yeah um, I mean that's it so I mean I didn't even know that we had that like when (laughs) it's it's I don't know social media is a weird thing I guess and it's not been something that I grew up knowing um but we've had it since the start and I guess it's it's grown very organically and now we do have such a strong community and it even surprises me all the time how engaged all our followers are and the feedback and standing up for us in these instances. And I think, I mean, you said putting your face to a brand. It's an interesting one because, I mean, I intentionally never used my name to the brand because I wanted it to be a collective. And so while at times I'm like at the forefront of Nagnata, there's times where I just like to really sit back and and let my girls operate as a collective and they'll be on the Instagram photos and stuff as much as mm-hmm. I am, you know, um, mm-hmm. because I wanted it. I didn't want it to just be like my brand. I wanted it to be like all of ours. Um, and, yeah, now our community, like everyone's creating content for us. It's so amazing. Like we're con- we just yeah, getting sent stuff every day and it's created this really beautiful momentum and it's great to see how everyone wears this brand so differently as well. 
Yeah, no, it's beautiful to watch and it's such a good example of brands doing using social media for community, which is nice. Mm. I think I wanted to um, touch on maybe just because you brought it up and I think it's a good one. I get this question a lot for as, from coaching clients is, um, how have you gone about funding it and, you know, all of that if you're not taking investment yeah. and was it something that you saved for or, yeah. Do you- yeah, a bit of, I, so I saved um, at the start, I think I saved 20 grand when I first started Nagnata and that was funding basically just the artisan projects and the travel to India. Um, and then my first collection cost 65k us um and then you have freight and import on top of that so call it like 100 grand us for the first collection which was only like five styles mind you um and i i mean i had to work through that entire period i was working for other brands the whole time in la in sydney i do a lot of maternity cover so i'd come in and design for nine months for someone and then i take you know three or four months off and so Look, it was tough. I was so broke, like yeah. so broke for so many years. Um, and and I ask just because I, I know a lot of people, how big, how did you know how big a run to do? Like did you, did you have stockers? Or, you know, we don't have a choice. So in China with minimums, they're usually like um, 300 units of style minimum on flatbed and you're looking at 1,000 a minimum on seamless knit, which was the Walmart collection. So I, could, I couldn't even touch seamless until... I collaborated with the Walmart company on that collection and they partnered, partnered me with particular factories to be able to start this, pro- this development program with them because they were really interested in my ideas of the Merino tensile fabrication because they weren't able to, no one in the market had been working on compression with high contents and natural fibres because they break in the machines. Mm. So once my... Once I did, sorry, I'm kind of going backwards, but that Walmart collection, which was a few movements in, I had funding from the Walmart company that helped with my development, which was like so amazing because I would have never been able to afford that um, mm. by myself and also the travel involved and just the the partnerships and stuff was really valuable. But up until that point, yeah, it was just me saving and then my dad helped back the first collection. So my dad gave us a loan, which I was like forever indebted to him for. And then so that's when, so dad has always had since that loan been had a bit of a financial guidance over the business because like I'm actually not great with money. If I have money, I'll spend it. Anything that I need to get my idea out there, like I, and I, I'm a real risk taker. So I think that's worked in my favor with everything with Magnato has been a risk. Like I, back to those minimums on our first collect. I got the factory down to 150 units of style yeah. at a at a 30% surcharge. So they charge you, I pay more per piece. So I was making nothing on wholesale. So any wholesale order I got, I made no money, but you needed those wholesale kind of relationships to kind of um, present you to the global market. So our, we got picked up by Net-A-Porter in our first season. Um, so, but I bought inventory. So I bought an inventory. We already had the following from the Artisan Collection. And so we think we had like 5,000 followers at that stage. We put it online. My friend, I was just like gifting a little bit to my good friends. They were posting. They were all shooting for me. It was a super organic grassroots way. And we were selling like, you know, we'd sell a few pieces a week and then it like slowly grew. Me and Hannah were like dispatching everything or mum was dispatching it. Like, or I was like somewhere else in the world. Like it was a super family business. And then, um, but once we we did a trade show for our first season, um, my New York business partner hooked that up for us. And then 
once we did that, we had motor operandi, we had Netta Porter, we had all the biggest stores, we had Barney's, like, and they were like, do you have inventory? And I'm like, yeah, I, I actually do. But then the orders that they placed, Net gave me this, our first collection order. I showed her in London, actually. I'm a buyer there. And she loved it. And she said, I'll back this. And then gave me the order. And I was like, oh, babe, that's too much. Like, I don't have, I don't have that. And she's like, well, you have to make it. I'm like, I don't have the money. I was like, Claire, can you just like, take, this is the units that I have available. I'll give you everything. And she's like, darling, I can't. This is, you, this is what we need to do this order. So then I was like, how am I going to come up with this money? So then I went back to dad. I'm like, can you please, if you loan me this money, I can pay it back. You know, you know, you've got your 30-day payment terms. And so then I produced a replicate collection and had to back the minimums on that. And then I did it and it was a success and we had net from that season. And then it's just been about managing um you know, that stock and I would sell that then to other stores that were interested and that's why I'd skip a season or two because I didn't need to produce again. So I'd show the same collection to different stores and I'd really push the fact that, you know, we don't, in Australia, we don't do sales. So I've really mm. been against it. I mean, you can hear by everything that I've been talking about what goes into even getting a collection together for a small brand. And um, so there was no way that I was going to put that on sale in three months. Like there's just yeah. absolutely no way. So I said very early on, anyone we partner with in Australia, Nagnana Online never goes on sale. And our partners here, if you want to work with the brand, you can't put us on sale. And so we've been really able to protect that. And it means every collection styles back with the next. You can, so you're not going to invest in a piece and then see it on sale in, you know, a couple of months time. And then each collection, you can, you know, invest in another piece and style it back. And it's, it's just values the clothing and the designs and and you know it doesn't make fashion so disposable which is the whole problem with this industry yeah no I love it I think something that's really stood out for me and it's been a nice reminder is and such a good lesson for everyone in business or wanting to start a business is how important that like core values and sticking to it but I think something else that seems to have stood out to me in your journey is how relationships and your ability to um, your willingness, I guess, to be on the ground and to meet people and to hustle and negotiate. (laughs) Yeah, definitely hustle. Yeah. Is, um, has being on the ground with like suppliers and, you know, traveling and showing and stuff, how vital has that been? Do you think to your success? I mean, I think it's everything I, you know, we, ended up having sales agents for a couple of seasons and while it was awesome to show in Paris with them and we were meeting a lot of stores like the the buyers still really want to just connect with you and you get such better results and you get an under like the whole dialogue between you and and these stores is you get so much more from it you're able to run really grassroots marketing if you work directly with them you like they give you kind of advice for collections what they're seeing that their customers want and Mm. feedback because they see like a hundred brands you know so even when we had agents I still attended every showing I mean that's also me just being a control freak at the start Mm -hmm. but I, I just really love that direct feedback you know and I've grown up always presenting my own collections at brands so I present them and I get the feedback and I see the sales results and you know it's it's all just a part of putting together the strongest collection that you can you know um 
and especially with factories you have to be there in the early development stages and you know for us I wanted to make sure I knew where our stuff was being made mm. I would visit the factories and see the workers um, I'd work directly with the technicians that's why I mean the factories were going to in China were like you know it's a, a four-hour drive from Shanghai and there's such long days but they're never going to understand by email what yeah. I'm asking them to do. And you get there and they these guys are incredible in the machinery that they have, but I also don't know what they can, what their capabilities are until I'm there looking at their machines, touching swatches, seeing what they've got in their showroom mm. and having that kind of dialogue, even with like a translator most of the time. Um, that's how you create something new. And I've never been interested in buying like ready-made fabric so much, even with our T-shirts that we're just doing out of LA. We worked with the mill to just create um, our ideal organic cotton base. So, yeah, I look, I just enjoy that. And, it, you know, that should make it harder to cop- harder to kind of replicate. But then it, obviously these people have just replicated it anyway by sending it off, not to the, the level, like it's, a, you know, a poor quality and a poorer yarn and so on but yeah I think to create something unique you need to be hands-on and just to nurture all your relationships like Mm. we want to stay very connected with all our partners and I don't want you know Nagnana we're definitely getting to be more of a global brand but I also want to keep it to like an, an intimate way of business because that's how I like to operate you know and I think another, yeah, I love I love the way that you do business. And I think another standout to how why it's working as well, I think, is because making something that you know, like you know in fashion, like you the way that you talk about it, I'm like, what is she talking about? <laughs> like it, you know, it's like I'm sitting here going, I don't know if I could start a fashion label. <laughs> you know, I think to an extent, but it would be, I think, what is so standout for you and what you're developing. And, you know, you look at it and you like, I'm already like, what am I going to buy? <laughs> I want to buy that because I can feel the passion and the story behind it. And I can imagine you there in, in the factory in China, touching and feeling and perfecting. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to remember, like if you're actually doing something that you know, that you love, that you're passionate about, that you're knowledgeable about, then it makes your life so much easier because you don't have to rely on somebody else to try and make this product better or, or stand out or, or unique, you know. And you learn also, like I didn't go in knowing this much about knitwear. Like I designed knitwear and I designed denim, but I also designed tailoring. Like I, I've designed across the board, but I wasn't deep in knits. This process of working directly with guys that are actually experts in it Mm. Have taught me so much so that that's the important thing I'm constantly learning um yeah. you know and then working with the Walmart company I was the whole new world opening with merino wool you know like I wanted I worked with my first prototypes from merino wool but they're coming back like thick woolen like nappies and I was like I can't work with merino I had this idea for it but it's not getting there and so until I started working, um, yeah, with the Walmart company and they connected me with the right technicians and started showing me what was possible with Merino. Mm. That was a whole new kind of, um, you know, learning space for me to be in. So I think you've just got to constantly, like I just go in being like, okay, I've got an idea and I want this and this and I've got my technical experience but there's also you show me, you teach me, like what do you think, what's possible, why don't you do test some ideas and send them to me, like that exchange. And then the factories love it. Like we... 
have such good relationships with our fact and they because they find me so annoying because I mean they're still small compared to like the big guys and like Nada's always so complicated and has so many colors and like my timelines are off and like everything you know they should hate me but we've actually built such good relationships with them that um they kind of yeah bend over backwards for us and especially like the climate that we find ourselves in now um our factories are just so understanding with payment terms with delayed like they're just working with me being like okay well what do you need like how can we still continue this business you know so it I think you come to those times that you never really like recessions or like just things that are completely out of your control and could completely crush you as a business. So when you come to that point, relationship is everything. And it's like with your team and your staff and everyone that has anything to do with your business, like how you've treated them in the past at these times will kind of like make or break you, you know? So yeah, that's why Hannah and I are very aware of yeah, just wanting to, we just treat everyone, because well, we're a family business, we just treat everyone like they're our sister. Yeah, no, I love it. And <laughs> there's another, like, I think also just getting on the ground and, and starting and, and trying to figure it out as you go. I think a lot of people sit back and go, you know, I am going to write this business plan and this is where we're going to source this and this and that. It's like you you learn so much about business from being in business. You yeah, know? that's it. I've had so many business plans. I always have a, a rough business plan, but it changes all the time. I think having your I think having your ethos and your brand identity and what you're trying to do and say to the world and those things that you can come back to yeah. is more important than like any business plan. Because actually I should mention when you asked about funding, I did forget that very, very early on I did do the niece program um, with my first business partner. So we did actually do that and for us, because we were working with the two of us, it was really useful because it, it held us accountable in that early period where I'm used to working very kind of um, organically in my own way, whereas to be held to weekly meetings and looking at rev- like funding and, you know, a structure was helpful. And you, we did receive, um, you know, like a whatever the Centrelink payment or the niece payment was for those first six months. So, that was super helpful. I forgot about that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's good to hear that working. Um, yeah, it worked for us. Yeah, great. And so, um, what? Is, what about the fear? Like, do you have do you have fear come up? Like all these big risks. I mean, like, Dad, I need another hundred grand start. Like, was there is there moments where you're like, holy shit, have I made the right choice? Is this gonna sell? Like. Or have, yeah, what? yeah, I think I only remember, I don't have a lot of fear, like just generally as a person, I have always noticed that about myself and being like it's to the frustration of my family, of my dad, of mm-hmm. anyone that I, the way that I operate is very um, loose and I, I do take a lot of risk, but I do remember when I first got that first loan from dad and I paid the factory, I felt sick. I was here in Byron and I remember like crying on the beach one day because I was like, if this fucks up, yeah, like I'm stuck with thousands of units or like a thousand units of knitwear for yogis. <laughs> and yogis, a lot of my yogi friends don't have money. So like, are they going to be able to afford this? Like, definitely had those moments really early on I think that's why I worked so hard because I was like well 
I can't really fail because I'm going to have to owe dad heaps of money and I don't want to go back to working for anyone. So I'm just going to make it work. And then the, and then I got it and was wearing it and I was like, oh, this stuff's great. I love it. And, <laughs> and then it just, you know, so I think those stages early on, it's a natural part of creating something really new or like a new business when you've got big investment like that. Like I think that's the hard thing with products and fashion is you do um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of overheads and the timeline to get paid back in fashion, constantly cash flow. My whole career, I'm always just like, it's all cash flow. After you've paid for production and you don't get paid for 30 or, 30 or 90 days, you're in this dire space where you're like, I've got no money coming in. And that's why we actually focused our, our kind of, um, well, my loose strategy with the brand was like, I just wanted to focus on our direct consumer, which has only really been through online. And then recently we opened the store here in Byron, which has been so incredible to have that like direct customer experience um, with our girls here. Um, and some guys, we've got guys shopping Nagnata now, which I love. Um, but just not, what I've learned is to not um, fund or cost the business off anything above our direct consumer sales. So it was all just about um, selling online and now through our store and let that be kind of my budget allocator um, because with wholesale, you know, it means if you have a poor wholesale season, then everything has to shift with your budgets or people cannot pay or things like now with the coronavirus, everyone cancelled orders. And that's why all these brands are like, suffering now and struggling which is so horrible um because you know wholesale guys have just kind of pulled out their orders and so yeah we just try to keep like run a bit of a tight ship with how much yeah. we spend in and that which is a great segue into this coronavirus because again you have been incredibly busy <laughs> since lockdown <laughs> has begun um but how yeah what's your plan through it and I guess, you know, even just from this conversation, it's kind of obvious to me that your brand loyalty and, you know, um, focusing on your customers is resulting in incredible sales for you right now. Yeah, look, it's been, um, it's, I mean, it's a really interesting and challenging time um, and I've been through all my emotions with it. Um, but we've, you know, we've been following the corona um, crisis since China because, you know, in January, all our factories closed down. So we've been super aware of like how impactful this is just to like humanity and business. Um, we had orders stuck there that we've only received recently, all our packaging. Um, you know, we were lucky to just get our sample collection out so we could still show New York, but other brands couldn't get their sample collections out. So they already missed a season of showing New York and Paris. Um, and then their productions of all and now they've lost orders against the next the upcoming production season so in fashion it's weird because we've all been watching this for a little while so when it hit here um I felt like I was angry and so frustrated that like there wasn't support in place earlier you know like the packages yeah. for the small brands and businesses um because it was almost like inevitable not that we could have predicted this but once it's moved through Italy and then it was onto the US you know we shut down our US operations um before it even hit Australia so you know we kept all our team but we did have to um put on hold one aspect of marketing in LA, which is really hard, but we just had to do it because everything there just literally shut down. So um, I was prepared for doomsday. I was like, we're done. Okay, we're going to have to like 
shut up shop and downscale um, for the next few months. And so I was having a lot of conversations with our new COO, which again, like I'm so grateful that she came on in this period because um, I've really been leaning on her a lot. Yeah. She manages um, she manages quite a lot of actually really amazing brands that you guys would be familiar with um, in the States. So I was getting feedback on what was happening there. And yeah, and then we did get order cancellations from some huge partners in Asia and in London. And, you know, they were all very apologetic about it, but it was just coming from their finance department that we're hitting a recession. We can't, our doors are closed. You know, it was all, all the um, retail stores and department stores that just canceled all their orders. Yeah. So I went from this trip that I just traveled and spent, you know, we spent a lot of money when we go to our showings. Um, with, and I took uh, one of my girls over with me this season because Honey was having the baby. So, you know, a lot goes into it, energy and money. And then all those orders are pretty much cancelled. Um, mm. We do have our major partner standing by us at the moment, but we're all just kind of reading the market to see what happens. So long story short, everything gets cancelled. So I was like, okay, girls, we just need to see how we go, how our online continues through this period. Like, you know, there's support coming from the government, but to be honest, it hasn't been enough or quick enough to really make any impact in our business. And then our online has kind of been doubling in sales each week since the corona hit. And I was really surprised and really overwhelmed and like quite emotional about it at the start because it was, I think, two things. I think our community was definitely like, we're going to support you and we're going to shop local and the messages and the emails and the social media content just doubled. Everyone's buying their Nagnata and tagging us and sharing it and writing the sweet messages. And I was like, wow, this is the second instance in the last month that I've realized we have such a loyal community, which I'm so grateful for. Um, And then also I think right now everyone's at home. Wellness is becoming more important than ever. Everyone's doing their at-home workouts. And so that's also, I know that wellness brands across the board are, you know, and activewear brands are still going strong through this period. So, yeah, we, and what we did. created the perfect Corona uniform, really. I can look great without too much effort. <laughs> And I'm comfy. Everyone's having the Jane Fonda moments at home or in Nagmata. I've not seen it. Um, But, yeah, look, I just think it's, I think fashion, like just talking bigger to what's going on because, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next few months with everything. We're only at the start of it. But I do think fashion needed to slow down. And I think it's a really interesting period that for everyone to scale back and to look at our systems and to look at how much we're producing, how much we're showing, like this whole rat race that we've all been moving on, like we were able to be adaptive also because we're a small brand, you know, like we have a small team. It's harder for bigger brands, you know, they had to lose so many people straight away. Mm. So I just think with what's happening in the industry now, like I'm really, I'm interested to see the creativity that comes from this time and how we choose to operate on the other side of Corona. Absolutely. I think that'll be, it, it, you've nailed it in the consumerism and the the everyday, you know, even like fashion, the seasons that we move through just because, you know, no one's ever questioning it. So yeah, I think the world will be a very different place on the other side and yeah. so nice to hear you're getting the support from the community. So I think we just to finish this off because it's been such an insightful um, conversation. So lovely to hear the back end and the passion that goes into, you know, what people are wearing. But what would you say your number one tip for somebody out there looking to start their own label um, business? 
you know, they've got an idea, they're in, they've written out some, some patterns or some drawings and you have an, yeah, concept. What would you, what would your number one tip for them be? I would just get to start, like, once you've refined a concept that is so true to you and as, you know, original as you can be and done your research that, like, no one's doing the same thing, I think originality and passion and making it fit around your lifestyle, all of those in a melting pot, make sure, like, all those boxes are ticked Um, because that's, I think that's actually the most important thing is to refine that concept no matter how long it takes, even before you start developing. Because then when you go into the development period, um, you keep going back to that as like, is this on the right track? You know, is this Mm. what, does this go back to my concept? Um, And then just allowing space, that development period, don't put a strict timeline on it. Like I said, mine took two years and there's always other aspects you can work on. You can work on your social media or work on other little, like I did the artisan project because it was easier to, not easier, but, you know, I could get it out there quicker. And um, so just test and create until you reach that perfect product and work other jobs. Like I didn't really leave working some kind of side hustle mm. until like one year into my first fashion collection was on the market. You know, I think you want to really make sure that it's kind of tried and tested and, and people are responding to it and, and it's got a good foundation before you leave, um, you know, your full-time work or your side hustle. Yeah. Um, not to expect it all like really early on because then I think you'll get discouraged. Yeah, great advice. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story and so honestly and openly about the highs and the lows um, of everything that's been happening. And congratulations on your incredible brand. I look forward to to getting some on my body for my <laughs> corona lockdown. So <laughs> you are. Um, and thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was lovely speaking to you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week.